It's good to continue in the worship of our God on the Lord's Day this afternoon. We're going to continue worshiping the Lord this afternoon in song. So if you'd uh, turn with me to Hymns of Grace, number 17. Wait, nope, sorry, got that wrong. Trinity Hymnal, number 690, I Hear the Savior Say. Trinity Hymnal, number 690, I Hear the Savior Say. And once you're there, if you'd stand with me. before the Lord in prayer with me. Father in heaven, we thank you that you delight to meet your people. You delight to condescend to us this afternoon because we approach you in the name, power, and righteousness of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that we don't have anything in of ourselves to approach you with. All we have is the righteousness of Jesus. All we have is His perfect holiness to clothe sinners like us to come into Your presence. So we pray that as You come, meet with us this afternoon. Fill us with Your Spirit. Give us ears to hear Your Word. Give us eyes to see the glory of Jesus Christ. Pray these things in His name. Amen. Well, today is a day of beginning monumental books. We started in John chapter 1 this morning, and to me the Gospel of John does loom as a monumental work. And this afternoon we are beginning Isaiah uh, chapter 1, another uh, monumental work from the Old Testament. 
the uh, beginning of the section known as the prophets. And we begin right out in uh, verse 1. We're told uh, what we are reading. We are reading a vision of Isaiah. And his name is, closer pronunciation would be Yishaya. And always keep your eye out for the I-A-H suffixes on people's names because that means Yahweh is in that name uh, somewhere. And uh, Yishaya is uh, something about the salvation of Yahweh. We are told when he prophesied, and it was during the reigns of Uziah, another IAH name, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, another IAH name. Uh, I won't attempt to say that. It's got that guttural uh, CH sound that the Jews have. I can't do it, so I won't make embarrass myself or you. But it's more like Hezekiah uh, means Yahweh is my strength. Uzziah is my strength is Yahweh. Either that or it's the other way around. But so Yahweh, or Isaiah had a very long uh, tenure uh, as prophet. Don't know exactly how many years or estimates between 60 and 80. But these kings um, come in the latter two-thirds, maybe, of the reign of the kings uh, in Judah. We've already had uh, Saul, David, Solomon, Rehoboam, Abijam, Asa, Jehoshaphat, Jehoram, Ahaziah, Jehoash, Amaziah, and then we come to Uzziah. So things... You know, things deteriorated very quickly uh, during Solomon's reign. And after that, it was the kingdoms were split. Uh, Judah, uh, Israel, the ten tribes broke off uh, from Judah. So that, that has already happened. And we're well in, into that. And we're well into uh, hypocritical uh, religion, religious performances, but no heart uh, for God. And that, so we begin with God's complaint uh, regarding that. He's brought up children uh, who don't know Him. Then we have something of Israel's condition, and I won't give uh, verses of this outline. I'm not that comfortable uh, outlining scriptures because you miss things if you're if you put this false framework on it, but in general you can see these elements in uh, this, uh, some call it a sermon, Isaiah's first sermon perhaps. God's complaint, Israel's condition, it's a sad and dark picture at this point. Bright spot though is there is always, and this is a good thing to remember throughout reading of the severe judgments of God, there is always a faithful remnant. And we have that, I believe it's uh, around verse 9 or so, the constant remnant. Worship, again, God tells how vain it is if there is no personal righteousness to perform these religious services. He says, why are you coming? This is, I can't stand this. It's abominable to God. If uh, He cannot stand it if there is no heart of uh, for God if there's secret sin. He outlines for them, though, the path of repentance and it's given as a command what they should do. And then he gives them two promises, what will happen if they're obedient and what will happen if they rebel. And there seems to be, uh, maybe around verse 27, a more long view promise of what is going to uh, take place regardless of their response Yahweh has purposed that he will uh, redeem Zion and so we begin uh, from the New King James um, also it's notable and interesting certain versions will uh, format the text in a, in a poetic format 
And so if you don't have uh, New King James NAS 20, I believe it is. I don't think the 95 does. ESV doesn't. Old King James doesn't. I think the New Living does. Uh, but this is beautiful poetry on top of being very dark, but it's uh, very uh, skillfully written uh, words of the Holy Spirit here. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for Yahweh has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not consider. Alas, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a brood of evildoers, children who are corruptors. They have forsaken Yahweh. They have provoked to anger the Holy One of Israel. They have turned away backward. Why should you be stricken again? You will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick and the whole heart faints. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed or bound up or soothed with ointment. Your country is desolate. Your cities burned with fire. Strangers devour your land in your presence. And it is desolate as overthrown by strangers. So the daughter of Zion is left as a booth in a vineyard, as a hut in a garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city. Unless Yahweh of hosts had left to us a very small remnant, we would have become like Sodom. We would have been made like Gomorrah. Hear the word of Yahweh, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Speaking to Israel. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says Yahweh? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, and the calling of assemblies, I cannot endure iniquity and the sacred meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They are a trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Just a note again to remember there. These words are primarily directed to the rulers of the nation and the religious and civil rulers. Come now and let us reason together, says Yahweh. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of Yahweh has spoken." How the faithful city has become a harlot. It was full of justice. Righteousness lodged in it, but now murderers. Your silver has become dross. Your wine mixed with water. Your princes are rebellious and companions of thieves. Everyone loves bribes and follows after rewards. They do not defend the fatherless, nor does the cause of the widow come before them. Therefore... The Lord says, Yahweh of hosts, the mighty one of Israel. Ah, I will rid myself of my adversaries and take vengeance 
on my enemies. I will turn my hand against you and thoroughly purge away your dross and take away all your alloy. I will restore your judges as at the first and your counselors as at the beginning. After your word, you shall be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. Zion shall be redeemed with justice and her penitence with righteousness. The destruction of transgressors and of sinners shall be together, and those who forsake Yahweh shall be consumed, for they shall be ashamed of the terebinth trees which you have desired, and you shall be embarrassed because of the gardens which you have chosen. For you shall be as a terebinth whose leaf fades, and as a garden that has no water. The strong shall be as tinder, and the work of it as a spark. Both will burn together, and no one shall quench them. What a powerful introduction to uh, the great prophecy that the Lord gave through Isaiah, that chapter is. Will you... uh, Will you uh, stand with me as we sing Trinity number 710, I Need Thee Every Hour.
when considering what to preach on on these Sunday afternoons, I decided to take a shorter series into 2 Samuel chapter 16. In 2 Samuel chapter 16, David is on the run. After hearing that his own son, Absalom, was seeking to overthrow him. We read in chapter 15 and verse 13, the messenger came to David saying, the heart of men of Israel are with Absalom. He goes on to say, arise, let us flee. Otherwise, none of us will escape from Absalom. And so David is fleeing. And when we come to chapter 16, David faces opposition. He faces opposition from three men. Ziba, Shimei, and Ahithophel. And we have recorded for us in God's Word some of the narrative concerning these three and their opposition to David. Dale Ralph Davis, in his commentary on 2 Samuel, refers to the three of them as the manipulator, the cursor, and the betrayer. Ziba, the manipulator, Shimei, the cursor, and Ahithophel, the betrayer. As we consider these three men, what we read about them and what we hear concerning them serves as a warning to each one of us concerning things that we need to continually be on guard against as we seek to live for Christ here and now. Now, now as we come to consider these three men, and we're only going to consider one this afternoon, but, but as we consider these three men, I do want to remind you that their opposition against David was basically the same as their opposition against God. David was God's covenant king. So to despise, oppose, and betray David would be to despise, oppose, and betray the God who appointed him. You know, Christ sets down that principle even in Luke chapter 10 and verse 16, where Christ himself says, the one who listens to the one who listens to you listens to me. And the one who rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects the one who sent me. So in other words, if you're going to oppose God's covenant king, really you're going to oppose God himself. And so as we consider these three men together, I trust it will cause us, as the people of God, to stir up our own hearts to guard ourselves against things that we see in these men's life because we're not exempt from doing the very things they did and therefore we, we need to constantly guard our hearts against them. And so it is my prayer that as we consider these three oppositions, that it will do each one of us good in guarding our own hearts against these things. And so this afternoon, I want us to consider the first one, Ziba. And we read about him in the first four verses. Second Samuel 16, verse 1. Now when David had passed a little beyond the summit... Behold, Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, met him with a couple saddled donkeys, and on them were two hundred loaves of bread 
a hundred clusters of raisins, a hundred summer fruits, and a jug of wine. And the king said to Ziba, Why do you have these? And Ziba said, The donkeys are for the king's household to ride, and the bread and the summer fruit for the young men to eat, and the wine for whoever is faint in the wilderness to drink. And then the king said, And where is your master's son? And Ziba said to the king, Behold, he is staying in Jerusalem. For he said, Today the house of Israel will restore, to, restore the kingdom of my father to me. And so the king said to Ziba, Behold, all that belongs to Mephibosheth is yours. And Ziba said, I prostrate myself. Let me find favor in your sight, O my lord, the king. Now, as we consider this individual, I want to basically look at two points this afternoon. The first one is, I want us to consider the narrative. And then the second thing I want us to do is to consider the instruction that's given to us in this narrative. So first of all, consider with me the narrative. And by narrative, I mean it's the story or the event that's related to us here in this passage. And very quickly, as we look at this together, I want you to, I just have four simple points under it that will carry us through the narrative. First of all, consider with me the identity of Ziba. Who is this man? Who is this man that comes out to meet David? Well, if you know your Bibles, in 2 Samuel chapter 9, he is mentioned. Remember, David is inquiring. Does Jonathan have any family left? Is there anyone from his family that, that I could take care of? Because of the bond between Jonathan and myself, if, if I can take care of someone in his family, I want to do that. And they came along and says, yes, he has a son. He has a son named Mephibosheth. So David is told about Mephibosheth. He's informed that he is Jonathan's son. He's also informed that he's crippled in both feet. But, but he is alive. And then we are told, Then the king summoned Saul's servant Ziba and said to him, Everything that belonged to Saul and to all his household I have given to your master's grandson. You and your sons and your servants shall cultivate the land for him, and you shall bring in the produce so that your master's grandson will have food to eat. Nevertheless, Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall eat at my table regularly. And Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. So, so Ziba was quite a well-known man. He was Saul's servant. And, and, and now David tells him that everything that belonged to Saul is now given to Mephibosheth. All those things are his. And he tells Ziba, you guys are to work the land. You're to have the produce. You and your sons and your servants, all that is yours because of my friendship with Jonathan. This is what's going to come to pass. However, even though he has all this land and even though I'm giving him all these things, he's going to eat at my table. Meshavosheth is going to eat at my table, and enjoy those things. So that's when we're first introduced to this man, Ziba. 
He's the servant of Saul, who now is caring for Mephibosheth, Jonathan's son. So there, we're, there we have the identity of Ziba. Now I want you to know the second thing with me from this narrative is the action of Ziba. David is on the run from his son Absalom. And we're told that Ziba meets David, but he doesn't come empty-handed. Look at all that he's bringing. He's got a couple saddled donkeys, and on them were 200 loaves of bread, 100 clusters of raisins, 100 summer fruits, and a jug of wine. He's come prepared. And David looks at him and says, What's this? And Ziba looks at him and says, Hey, I brought it for you. I, I, I want to see you taken care of. And, and so he even identifies how each piece is going to be used. Uh, the donkeys, uh, let, let some of your men ride on them in the midst of this exodus. Uh, let them eat the summer fruit. Even got you a little bit of wines for, for those who are fainting, about ready to pass. See that they drink it. So Ziba claims that in bringing these things, he really wants to do David good. He wants to provide for David. He was there in order. We might say he's saying, David, I'm pledging my loyalty to you. But then thirdly, notice the accusation of Ziba. David asked him, so what about your master's grandson, Mephibosheth, the guy that eats at my table, the guy that I'm providing for? How's he doing? And Mephibosheth, uh, not Mephibosheth, Ziba answers him by way of accusation. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, I, Part of it means dramatizing it, but whether it's not, what it happened, I don't know. But I could, oh, yeah. I hate to tell you, David. Mephibosheth's staying in Jerusalem. And in staying in Jerusalem, he's even made this claim. He's made this claim that the kingdom is going to be restored to his family. In other words, he's making this accusation. He's betraying you as well. He believes he's going to be set up as king. With this accusation, Ziba is saying Mephibosheth is really ungrateful. He's disloyal. And he's even discontent. I mean, look at, look at all you've done for him, David. And how's he thanking you? He thinks he's going to become part of the kingdom. He's going to be the king. After all you've done for him, he's going to stay in Jerusalem. And then you've provided the guy with everything he could ever need. He sits at your table. And yet that's not enough. So what's the result of that accusation? That's the fourth point. What's, what's the result that it's experienced by Ziba? And we're told here, verse 4, So the king said to Ziba, Behold, all that belongs to Mephibosheth is yours. Oh, and Ziba's just amazed. He's humbled. Wow. I fall at your feet. Now then, if you don't know the story, by this time, you may begin asking yourself a question. And here's the question you may be asking. Uh, Pastor, didn't you say these three men stood in opposition to David? And I would say, you heard right. Where's the opposition? Really? This guy's 
leaving Jerusalem. He catches up to David. He brings him all this food, brings him donkeys. And, and, and where's the opposition? When we find out the opposition, when we come, just look over a couple chapters. Go to chapter 19. Chapter 19. David is back in Jerusalem. Absalom has died. David grieves over Absalom. And now we're told some of the events that transpires once David arrives back in Jerusalem. Look, look at these verses. Uh, let's start reading. Let's start reading in verse 24. Chapter 19. Then Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king. And he had neither cared for his feet, nor trimmed his mustache, nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he came home. Get the picture? He shows up. But he doesn't show up as a guy who's thinking, hey, I'm going to take over the city. I'm going to take over the kingdom. He shows up as a man who's been in mourning. He hasn't shaved. He hasn't trimmed his feet. And it's been going on since the day the king left. Mephibosheth's appearance is that of one who is grieved over the events that have taken place. Verse 25, And it was when he came to Jerusalem to meet the king that the king said to him, Why did you not go with me, O Mephibosheth? And so he answered, Oh, my Lord, the king, my servant deceived me. For your servant said, I will saddle a donkey for myself that I may ride on it and go with the king because your servant is lame. He said, I, I've been deceived. I said, get me a donkey. I, I could, I'm lame. I'm crippled. I couldn't do it myself. And, and my servant said he, he would take care of that. And he didn't. I was deceived. Verse 27. Moreover, he has slandered your servant to my lord, the king. But my lord, the king, is like the angel of God. Therefore, do what is good in your sight. He spoke evil against me. He made accusations that weren't true. He slandered me. But you know what? You're the king. So do what you deem is best. Verse 28, For all my father's household was nothing but dead men before my lord the king. Yet you set your servant among those who ate at your table. What right do I have yet that I should complain any more to the king? And so the king said to him, Why do you still speak of your affairs? I have decided you and Ziba shall divide the land. And Mephibosheth said to the king, Let him even take it all, since my lord the king has come safely to his own house. Mephibosheth demonstrated a spirit of humility. He, he acknowledged that, that David had been better to him than they ever deserved. That they were like dead men. They were nothing. And yet the king brought them in and took care of them and provided for them. And, and then David says to Mephibosheth, well, I've, I've decided that I'm going to divide everything. Between you and Ziba. And Mephibosheth says, you know what? Just seeing you back is all I need. 
You don't even have to divide. This narrative demonstrates that Zeba was a manipulator. That, that Zeba pretended to be something he wasn't. I mean, at the end of the day, Zeba's plan was, I believe, something like this. I'm going to go out. I'm going to meet David. I'm going to give him all these provisions. That way, if David wins and Absalom loses, David will receive me. However, as soon as Zeba gave all these things to David, Zeba goes back to Jerusalem. And he waits there, thinking, if Absalom wins and David loses, <laughs> then Absalom's going to know I didn't follow David. And I don't know, but it seemed like to me Zeba's thought was, this is a win-win. I can't lose. And I don't want to be too hard on David. Because if my son was rebelling and, and I'm running for my life, how clearly I would be thinking might be interesting. But you think David would have stepped back and said, wait a minute. That's not the Mephibosheth that I know. That doesn't seem quite right. And perhaps I should give him the opportunity to speak before I make a decision and give Ziba everything that I have. And think that Mephibosheth has betrayed me. But, but, but as we come to this event and we hear these things that we've read, we realize that in many ways Ziba was a man who all too often we can imitate. Where we try to paint an image for others to see that may not be the reality. That's the warning. We can all be guilty of playing the hypocrite because we have a greater fear of man than we have of God. There's something about the compliments, the approval that men may place upon us than we long for the well done from God, good and faithful servant. We can find ourselves lying, deceiving, in order that we might look better than what we truly are. We can be guilty of such things, or I would say this, I can be guilty of such things. But, but I don't think I'm alone. And so, with what time we have left, I want you to consider with me some instructions that we can glean from this narrative. Instructions that we can glean from this narrative. And I have three, I think three or four that I want to set before you. The first one is this. Let us be aware of our own tendencies to be like Zeba. Seeking to make ourselves into an appearance that is not genuine, that is not real. Making an image that isn't a reality to make ourselves look good or to make others think highly of us. I believe that's what Ziba did. He wanted David to think that he was with him. Even at the cost of the slander of another man. And oftentimes, 
we can find ourselves doing the same thing. How are things going? Well, things are well. Things are okay. Yeah, it's better. Do you know how how many times in the ministry you hear things like that? Oh, pastor, things are going well. It's, It's really going good now. And then you find out later the truth, that it's a mess, but they don't want to admit to the mess until it gets so messy that they think you ought to be able to clean it up. We have this tendency, and I understand it. I'm guilty of it. We want people to think highly of us. Even to the point that we will disguise what's really going on so that we're looking good, and yet at the same time, there's hand grenades going off and destroying so much. And I believe an example of that that we have in God's Word is found in James. I mean, I, I've mentioned, I mentioned this before, and I, I use it all the time, because that passage there, if any sick among you, let him call for the elders. Remember that passage? And they come to him and lay hands upon him and put the oil upon him, and it says, and they will be healed. I mean, I struggled with that for years. If you're sick, call me. I'll come over, dab a little oil on you. What's the? Pro- You'll be healed. I mean, we were talking about this Thursday at our pastor's gathering. One of the pastors said, you know, it's almost like he says, it doesn't always work. But in the context... It's speaking about our endurance, our perseverance, and how we can become weary and begin to faint and begin to drift off. And it's in that context, it says, if anyone is sick among you, and that word sick has the idea and can be translated in the midst of affliction or trials and so forth, and you feel like you're about ready to faint, Don't look at the pastor and say, things are good, pastor. Things are going well. But be honest. Be transparent. I I think that's true not only with regard to your pastors, but other believers who you need to be honest with. We all struggle. In many ways, this morning was not a picnic at my house i got to figure out how to show a video in Sunday school, and I'm completely computer illiterate. And that thing wouldn't work. I couldn't. And How do I download this? And Christian's very patient. Let me see. Okay, but let's do it. Let's get it done. And then I come here. I get it all set. It doesn't show. I did everything I always do, and it doesn't show. So guess what I did? (laughs) Trisha! I can be a very impatient man. It's amazing how it all works out, isn't it? We all battle with things. We all struggle with things. And we ought not to seek to make ourselves look better when we're struggling just for appearance sake or lie so that nobody else knows about it. Our Lord warns us about this reality. Remember Matthew chapter 6? Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Beware of doing things so that everybody else can see you and heap praise upon you, but you do it for yourself? And someone may say, wait a minute, Pastor, doesn't our Lord say, let your light so shine before men? Which is it? Yes. Yes, that's it. 
Don't let your light shine before men that they might praise you. Let your light shine before men that they might praise your God who is in heaven. In heaven. You see, Ziba, I believe, was acting the part of a devoted follower when in reality he wasn't. He was simply looking out for self and his reputation. And so may God help us. May God help us to have good reputations, but not just for the sake of our good reputation, but that men may glorify our God. Second word of instruction is this. Let us take caution not to be quick to listen and believe a negative accusation against another. Be careful. And I've reminded you of this a couple times. Be careful of listening to one side. I will tell you, trying to listen to both sides isn't going to make you popular. It won't. But how better it is to try to get all the information than to rashly make a judgment call and find out you never had all the information you needed. A pastor friend of mine just recently told me that he was very close to resigning because he had listened to a certain accusation, believed it to be true. All honestly, he was sincere. He thought it was true only to find out there was information he did not have before he did something publicly and had to go back and apologize and seek to make things right and was willing to step down. Now thankfully the church understood and he still pastors a faithful pastor today, but it was just a reminder, be careful how you hear an accusation. Proverbs 18, He who gives an answer before he hears it is folly and shame to him. Verse 17 of Proverbs 18. The, I've heard this from me before. The first to plead his case seems right until another comes to examine it. You find that to be true? Someone comes to you. Hey, did you hear and he makes an accusation and you think that's terrible? That's absolutely terrible. And then you find out there's another side to that story. And how often when we hear one, we tell somebody else. And then we hear the other side and find out we were wrong. So you go to the person you've told and said, listen, I was wrong. And they say to you, oh, no, because I told so-and-so. So then so-and-so goes to so-and-so and they've already told so-and-so. And, and that first accusation is all around before it can ever be cleared up. Matthew 18, 1 Timothy 5, Hebrews 10, all speak about the biblical requirement of two or three witnesses for an accusation to be established. Seems to be wise, doesn't it? So let us take caution not to be quick to listen and believe a negative accusation against another. But then the third word of instruction and the final word of instruction I'll give you this, this afternoon is this. Let us not be shaken in our faith where those who profess faith prove not to be genuine. Don't be shaken in your faith where those who profess faith prove not to be genuine. Any of us who've been around for 10 years or more know of brethren who at one time walked with us, loved, professed to love the truth we loved, sought to be godly in their behavior, 
who by and by left the faith. And that can be devastating. For some of us, our mentors, who had such a great influence on us, and, and we might even profess we are where we are today in many ways because they were the instruments that God used, have walked away. That can shake your faith. But the scripture is not shy about such realities. Some who profess faith and confess to be one of God's by and by show their true colors. And that can be devastating. 1 John 2 Talking about those who once were with us have now gone out from us, showing at the end of the day they were never with us. Even Christ had a man by the name of Judas who walked with him. And then there's Demas. Colossians 4 says, Luke, the beloved physician, sends his greetings. Also Demas. So Paul writing to the church at Colossae, hey, Demas says to say Hi. I would imagine some of those in, in that congregation listening to this letter being read would say, oh, I remember Demas. Oh, what a good man. Maybe he was so helpful. He was so beneficial. Even in, in Philemon, again, we read that Demas sends his greetings. And then, and then he, he's referred to as our fellow worker. You remember Demas? Remember, remember the good things he did when he was among us? You guys, good old Demas. And then in 2 Timothy chapter 4, says this, For Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. This Demas, who was my fellow worker, The man who sends greetings to you, dear people. Loved the present world and now has walked away. He started well. But he's walked away because he loved the present world. He loved its ease. He loved its pleasure. That's going to happen. It's going to happen. Our Lord taught in the parable that so were that reality. Those who received the word and believed for a season. And then walked away. And so we're reminded here, let none of us be shaken where there are those who profess faith who prove to be not genuine. May it help us to guard our hearts. You've heard me say this before as well. You know, the older I get, the older I get, the more I fear. I have a genuine fear I won't end well. So I must maintain a, a good, close relationship to God. And so we learn from Ziba to beware of hypocrisy. Beware of being a manipulator. Lying to make ourselves look better. May we guard against it. So that in the end, we'll hear, well done, good and faithful servants. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for your word and the direction we receive from that word. We thank you that you have been pleased by your grace to keep us. Father, how we pray that you would keep us to the very end. And Father, we pray that as we consider this man, we might each examine our own lives to see that our, that our walk with you is genuine, that it's real. And Father, if there be any among us who perhaps are, are hiding a secret life that no one knows about, Father, may you expose it to the end that they would be brought to faith and repentance.
And so, Father, we pray that you would take these lessons and just help us to be on guard all the way to the end. For these things we do ask in your Son's name. Amen. Well, in closing, let's take our Trinity hymn books and turn to 502. 502, I trust it is a hymn that expresses truly something of our own demeanor. Rejoice, what? You pure in heart. Rejoice, give thanks, and sing. 502, rejoice. Let's stand together as we sing. been good to be in the house of the Lord today. Joe, I'm going to save you time. How's Dan doing instead of everybody asking you and you? Right? Okay. So. Okay. All right. Did you all hear that? Okay. Good. I just thought I'd save you answering that a hundred times. Oh, that's, that's me. It's not, I had nothing to do with